you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. 1 Peter 4, uh, starting from verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Dino. Really appreciate you, mate. And yeah, I reiterate what Nick said. I'm super, super excited to see what uh, the Lord uses you for this year, not just cooking lunches in the office, which would be great. Um, for those who don't know, my name's Pat. I want to give a big welcome to all those who are new or visiting, all the regulars here. It's awesome to be back with you this Sunday. Those who are online, um, Carly and I joined you this week. We had to isolate. It was a sucky time, but we got through it. Um, so I'm especially grateful to be with you here this morning. Before I get stuck into the sermon, the passage that uh, Dean just read, just from the top, I wanted to um, quickly draw your attention to a need in our church. And as mentioned, I've been isolating with Carly and Simi all week, and so it means I've been talking to my almost two-year-old son a lot, so I want to kind of talk to you like I talk to him. Hey, church, where are your lips? Can you show me your lips? Michael Theophilus has found his lips. <laughs> Dean, can't, uh, Phil can't find his lips yet. Come on, church, where are your lips? Very good. Hey, church, where are your ears? Where are your ears? You got ears? Hey church, have you got a heart for the lost and lonely people who are living alone in Melbourne? Show me your heart for the lost and lonely people. Wow, a lot of you have a heart for the lost and lonely living in Melbourne. Church, we have a mercy ministry that we do at our church called The Living Room. Our Living Room is part of our Many Rooms project. The house has many rooms in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. There are many houses with many rooms and a lot of poverty and impoverished people going on in those rooms. So we have the kitchen where we try to feed and uh, equip those who are less fortunate than us with food. We have the study where we try to bring education to those who desperately need it to kind of get themselves out of the life circumstance that they're in. And we also have the living room which provides a company for people who are living incredibly lonely lives at the moment. They reach out to our church, they reach out to the Many Rooms organisation and they ask for a friend. Now, this is like both beautiful and heartbreaking at the same time because loneliness in our city is a crazy epidemic and it's just getting more and more pervasive. About 25% of Melbourne are living 
in uh, single dwellings at the moment, so loneliness is just growing. By God's grace, a lot of you give time and energy and finance to the living rooms, a lot of you volunteer for them, but as loneliness grows, we need more people to visit these lonely people. It's a real tragedy. We currently have four guys who are waiting for a friend. They've reached out to us and said, hey, can I have someone who visits me? It's really likely that right now, they're sitting home, alone, lonely. It breaks my heart. I hope it breaks your heart. So we're particularly after male volunteers to stick their hand up and be part of our initiative, The Living Room. If this is something that you're keen for, I would love for you to have a chat with me. I'd love for you to have a chat to one of the welcomers. They're wearing the uh, yellow name tags or go onto the Living Room website behind me and you can start that process yourself. It would be so awesome. If you have the lips to talk to, if you have the eyes, uh, sorry, the ears to listen to, and if you have the heart to see people uh, know Jesus and make Jesus known in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, we would just love for you to join with us in this mission. Great. Let's get into the passage. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to dive into your word. We do lift up those who are living lonely in Melbourne at the moment. Uh, We do lament that there is brokenness and suffering in the world, but we do thank you for your gospel that you've sent your son to live and die for us and to restore the earth. So as we read about that now, as we are encouraged by your word now, please do a great work in our hearts of stone and make them hearts of living life and love for you. Amen. Now, a lot of you know that I'm a huge fan of the outdoors, and a lot of you know I'm a huge fan of podcasts. So my favourite thing on earth almost, outdoor podcasts. And these aren't podcasts that are recorded outdoors, these are podcasts about the old outdoors, although sometimes they are recorded outdoors, which is like my my mind just loses it, it's great. So my three favourites, my my first fruits of podcasting per week are Cal's Week in Review, Closing the Distance and Meat Eater. They're my, my three top ones. I assume that most of you have never heard of it. Cal's Week of Review is a conservation guy from the US, hunter conservationist, and he talks all about animal species all over the world, what's happening in uh, different parts of of the world in terms of conservation and uh, what what animals are endangered and what aren't, how our ecosystems are going and flourishing. It's awesome. I love it. It's a good way for me to kind of get up to date with what's happening. Then there's Closing the Distance. Now, this is a really detailed hunting podcast, which is all about the practicals of hunting, how to do better game calls, how to lure game in, how to use topography to kind of like hide your shadow, what gear you should take when you're like hunting big game. It's like so technical, so boring, and I just love it. And then there's my ultimate favourite, the one called Meat Eater, where it's a bunch of guys and girls, and essentially they feel like they're just sitting around a campfire, they're all like hunters or huntresses, they talk about hunting, fishing, camping, farming history, conservation, anything you can imagine. They'll talk about squirrels for like three hours and it is just so fascinating and I just love it. It just makes you feel like you're sitting around talking with a bunch of people about something that you love. But one thing that kind of draws all these, they're all experts, they're all biologists or historians, but one thing that draws them all in is that they all have a really good knowledge for like old explorers and they, what they try to do, they try to discern and they argue a lot of the time over what about an explorer or an old kind of Western frontiersman is fact and what is fiction. And one of, the, one of the arguments that they love to have is whether this story is true about Ernest Shackleton. So Ernest Shackleton is an Antarctic explorer. He did a lot of great adventures all around the world. He was around at around like 1911, I think. 
But he did this incredible exploration that went really wrong into the Antarctic. But the legend is that he released this ad before he went. And this ad said, men, in, men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours, complete darkness. Safe return doubtful. Honour and recognition in the event of success. Now this ad, doom and gloom, got 5,000 responses of people offering themselves the service. Now true or not, I like the idea because it was upfront, honest and to the point. He didn't say, hey, we're going to warm sunny beaches, it's going to be flexible working from home hours, it's like great paid parental leave, come home whenever you want. No, he advertised the reality of what the situation was going to be like and thankfully he did. Because that expedition went sideways, they lost their boat as it was trapped in the Antarctic ice and crushed. They sent two months camping on the ice, eating seals, the dogs that they brought with them, and their own flesh when it got frostbite. All of those involved got frostbite. It didn't sound like a fun time at all. But all these people knew exactly what they were getting themselves into because of the honesty of the ad. And in today's passage, we're going to be faced with some sometimes confronting realities of the Christian life, some things that we are going to find hard, but like Shackleton's ad, Peter is going to be very upfront with us about what the Christian life might look like in our lives. Today, we're going to look at the posture as Christians towards suffering, God's purpose in our suffering, and the problem of our suffering. So, Peter, posture, purpose, problem, pat, a lot of P, not like that. So, please have, uh, have your Bibles open to 4 Peter 12 as we read of the posture. You may have noticed that the last two weeks have been a major focus on suffering, but there's a really good reason for that. So much of this book is about suffering because Peter loves his readers so much that he doesn't want them to be surprised when life turns out like they didn't think it would. Peter is warning us in love, like when a parent is watching a movie with a child and a scary scene comes up, we are going to be faced with a hard thing. We are going to hear hard things. We are going to see hard things. We are going to experience hard things. He says in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Now, this is a really important place for us particularly to start in the fiery trial because in our cultural moment that we're in, pain avoidance is at an all-time high and suffering is at an all-time minimum. Maximise pain, uh, maximise pleasure, minimise pain. That is the mantra of our day. And so we're going to find this passage confronting as people who live in this culture because this Comfort, comfort culture has certainly crept its way into our churches. We can easily have a diet of self-help, live your best life now, Christian books, that promise roses if we just have enough faith. The notion that God just wants you to be happy and live your best life now, which will include all the creature comforts of this world, because all the creature comforts of this world equal all the blessing from God. And these, this leads us, it can lead us, to a very common misunderstanding that a lot of Christians have. 
that Christians will not suffer. But if you have the idea that the Christian life is a life with the absence of suffering, I want to tell you right now that you believe a false gospel. And if we believe this false gospel, when suffering meets us on our doorstep, when we are faced with harsh words and people throwing harsh comments at us instead of warm smiles like we're used to, we are going to fast become discombobulated. Because the reality of this life as disciples of Jesus, that we will follow the pattern of the life of Jesus. The pattern of the life of Jesus will be the pattern of our life. And here's the rub. The pattern of Jesus' life was suffering that led to glory. He led a life of suffering that led to glory, and so will we. Jesus' life was marked by trials that displayed the genuineness of his faith, and so will we. The suffering that Jesus went through was for his relationship with God, and the fiery trials that await us are because of our relationship with Jesus. Notice that Peter here doesn't use the word, if you suffer. He uses the word, when you suffer. And because our culture has done such a good job of infiltrating our church, our Christianity, we are shocked when suffering happens to us. We shouldn't be. Peter has told us of the warning, a fiery trial is coming. But he also tells us part of the reason why we'll be faced with that fiery trial, when he says, when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. See, church, if you don't already have a theology of suffering that is informed by Scripture, you will, not able to be, you will not be able to rest when it comes upon you. Rather, you're going to be surprised as though something strange is happening in your life. Therefore, we must do the hard yards to seek an understanding of suffering right now because suffering is coming. Fiery trials are coming, so let's arm ourselves to be able to get through these fiery trials arm ourselves to be able to understand them better. We suffer because we exist in a world that is broken, but God has interceded to make it right again, and part of His redemptive work is refining you through the really, really hard things that you've been through, but also He's going to refine you through the really, really hard things that you will go through. We read really clearly here that part of the reason that we go through trials is that of testing. The test that comes from suffering is the fact that suffering reveals exactly where our allegiance lies. When we're under intense pressure, our true character is exposed and our idols just come spilling out. When we're under pressure, God uses that moment to reveal what truly has hold over our affections and our desires. When we are suffering, we will turn and cling to whatever we have our hope, our love and our trust in. Because moments of persecution and suffering are moments of absolute spiritual vulnerability. Suffering reveals the truth that is within us. If your suffering makes you doubt God, then it's unlikely that you're going to turn to the one who you've decided to doubt. This is the test, isn't it? In these moments of why is this happening to me? Do you turn to God in anger or do you turn to God in comfort? Again, this was the pattern of the life of Jesus. 
And as Christians, this will be the pattern of our life. This is the call, to not be surprised by the trials when they come upon us. But Peter continues radically. But rejoice in as far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice and be glad when it's revealed. Church, if you've ever seen someone stand in the midst of a moment of suffering and glory is on their face, faith is in their heart, they are rejoicing, the grace of God is upon them and it is the most beautiful thing you have ever seen in your whole life. But I don't know about you, when I suffer, I don't always rejoice. In fact, it doesn't take a lot for me to be doing the exact opposite. Minor moments of inconvenience can cause me to doubt and think things that I don't want anybody to ever think, hear my thoughts. Some of us can doubt God because of the state of the dishwasher in the morning or a set of misplaced car keys when we're trying to leave the house, let alone be faced with major long-term suffering. Peter's not saying rejoice because pain is something to be happy about. Peter is not talking about stoicism, having an indifference towards your suffering. Suffering isn't godly, rather Peter is talking about the attitude of faith. Because it's wrong for you to be in pain. It is wrong for you to feel rejected. It is wrong for you to be hurting both emotionally and physically. It is wrong for you to be humiliated. All of these things are a result of the fall and they are exactly why Jesus had to come in the first place. He came to put the ultimate end to suffering. But we sit in this very hard tension of this now but not yet because it was finished on the cross but yet we still exist in a world where we're doing His work and we're representing Him on this work and that is His part of salvation, His plan of salvation. But Peter says, don't grit your teeth and get through it, rather... Peter is saying, recognize that behind the pain, there is a God who is doing a good work in you and if you focus on the pain and the pain alone, then you miss the beauty of the moment. God is doing an amazing thing through you. He is refining you. Now, you have to know this, God isn't sitting behind a curtain, pulling the strings, inflicting pain on His creation for the fun of it. The gospel absolutely doesn't allow us to believe that. No, suffering is not a sign of his unfaithfulness, it's not a sign of his inattention, rather it's a sign of your inclusion in his redemptive plan. It's an amazing gift. Because if God is for you, if Jesus died on a cross for you, if the Holy Spirit makes his home in your heart, then when trial comes upon you, your resolve must not be surprise and disbelief, but rather faith, endurance, prayerful dependence and an eternal vision. Peter is encouraging us to believe that every moment of suffering is marching us towards, step by step, our moment of glory. A glory that will be so great that one day we will look back and we will understand every single part of suffering that we ever went to. It will all make sense. When that person maligns you at work, when that family member makes a snide comment about your weird church family or your faith, when that law makes you feel pressured or makes you stress about the existence of your family, please don't feel surprised. Please don't feel surprised. Rather, rejoice in the opportunity to represent God to the world. Understanding that this moment is a moment for you to show your faith in God, to cling to Him, 
rather than run away from him. Church, we've been called to have an unflappable posture towards suffering that not only isn't surprised by suffering, but also rejoices when we suffer. We now turn to the power by which we get this radical opportunity when we look at the purpose of God in our suffering. Read with me from verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. You see, to be able to rejoice, to be able to not be surprised, we must have our heads around the greatest reality of grace in our lives that exists. And it's right here in verse 14. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. See, as well as letting us know that we absolutely will be insulted for the name of Christ, Peter also encourages us that when we are insulted for the name of Christ, this proves that we are in Christ, that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us, that we will indeed not be alone in our fight. You see, the Spirit was promised to dwell on the coming Messiah that was to deliver Israel and the other nations. Isaiah 11 reads this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch and his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, the Spirit that descended on Jesus in His baptism, the Spirit that armed Jesus with all He was to do on earth. That Spirit now dwells in your heart and is sanctifying you right now if you hope and you love and you trust in Jesus. Therefore, to be insulted because one belongs to Christ is to be blessed by God because in such times... The Spirit of glory, the Holy Spirit, will give you an unbelievable power to rest in an especially glorious way. It is the same Spirit that rested on Jesus and allowed Him to suffer and do His incredible works on earth. It is the same Spirit that rested on Jesus when He was humiliated unto death. It is the same same Spirit that now makes His home in you and dwells in you and dwells in this very building through you. How amazing is that? You are blessed because when you suffer, the Spirit will equip and guide you. We are promised that in this life, the people will come against us for the hope that we have in Jesus. And to many around us, our hope won't just be weird, it'll be offensive. And it's just becoming more and more offensive. But as people who are indelt with the Holy Spirit, as He does a good work in us, we can hold these radical postures in the text of not being surprised and rejoicing because we don't stand in our own strength, but the strength of the one who has done it. When we suffer for God in the name of Jesus, we can bring glory to Him as we stand firm and announce in a posture of confidence, this is where my priorities, my love, my trust, my foundation is. I know who God is. He's the creator of the world. He holds the world in the power of his words. And I know who I am. I have saving faith in Jesus Christ. My hope, my trust and my love are in his hands. 
The Holy Spirit that rested on Jesus rests on me and he has made his home in my heart. I know my acceptance because of what has been achieved on the cross. I know that it's not if I get things right or wrong, but rather if I give my sins to Jesus, I am a child of God. He lived my life, he died my death, and he reconciled me with my Father. All the praise, glory, and the affection the world could give me does not compete with that which I find in Christ. Christian, do not ever be ashamed for suffering in the name of Jesus because it's such a beautiful thing, because it proves the most beautiful gift of grace, the biggest reality on this earth, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. What a reality. I'm a part of an exercise group, sometimes. Uh, They ride twice a week, they swim once a week. I am lucky if I make it there once every couple of months. But it's an awesome group of guys uh, who keep who are keen to see each other weekly and they're keen to keep physically fit and kind of keep those relationships up. We call ourselves the Fat Boys. Um, Now, it's a group of ex-AFL, VFL players from the 80s, so that makes me the youngest by about 15 years. Uh, But I love being there. It's a really typical Australian guys group where I don't know anybody's real names. It's all nicknames. And the banter's really high, but in this group, my nickname is Rev, as in Reverend, because I'm a Christian. And they know I'm a Christian because I met these guys whilst camping down at the prom and their kids attended our, um, our program and we were running a Christian program. So I got to know them down there. I struck up a good relationship with them and I've had the moment to have these amazing conversations with them in the years that I've known them. And I now consider them some of my best mates, even though they're non-Christian. But I so distinctly remember a time sitting in the cafe after a swim as two of these guys, who I consider really, really good mates of mine, just started teeing off on Christians. They started digging the boots in. And they knew I was a Christian, but they just started ripping us to shreds. They just went so hard, and I was taken aback by their comment. I was so offended. I was so scared. I was so vulnerable in that moment. It was so rapid fire that I didn't know where to start interjecting. And to be honest, I absolutely didn't want to interject. I was so scared. I just wanted to curl up into a ball And to my shame, that's exactly what I did. I stayed silent. I said nothing. How easy is it for us to avoid our suffering because of our faith? Peter himself knew exactly what it was like to deny Jesus and avoid suffering as he stood at the fire pit warming himself. As he was confronted and asked if he knew Jesus, he denied Jesus three times and immediately felt ashamed. That was the first of Peter's fiery trials. Me sitting in the cafe, that was one of the first of my fiery trials. No matter how mild it was, I failed the test. I failed the test. But by God's grace, I've learned heaps since that moment. And rather than feel the shame and weight of being a follower of Jesus, I now find it easier to glorify God in that name. Why? Not because the insults sting less, not because my apologetics are stronger, but because I truly understand what a beautiful thing it is to be labelled a Christian. We have no shame to be labelled Christians because that means the Holy Spirit dwells in us. That is what Christ has done for us 
And when we are called Christians, that means that it has been done for us. It means we no longer fear death or trial or shame on this earth because all of those things take us one step closer to our amazing reconciliation with our Father in heaven. But this brings us to a really tricky tension in the passage that is there because sometimes we can think that any suffering for our faith, sorry, any suffering is suffering for our faith. But in reality, most suffering is just suffering for being sinful. Suffering for the name of Jesus is one thing, it is a beautiful thing, but suffering for our own sin is shameful because as Christians, when we suffer like this, we bring dishonour to the name of God. Peter lists some sins that are outlined for us and we read, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Murderer, thief, evildoer, meddler. We can look at this list and say, that is an extreme list. That is full on. But let me point out two things. Firstly, Peter covers the multitude of sin here when he starts with murderer and ends with busybody. It's pretty much everything in between. Secondly, we need to remind ourselves that these sins are sins of the heart before they're ever sins of the hands. These sins are sins of the heart before they're ever sins of the hands. Every extreme sin that we read in the Bible manifested itself in small ways in people's hearts before they ever killed, stole or cheated. We cannot be arrogant about the small sins that we harbour away in our hearts as they're small drops of poison in our lives that are slowly killing us and can absolutely manifest into something bigger. I don't know about you, but in moments of difficulty, I haven't murdered, I promise, but I have had hateful thoughts. Last week, I lived with someone, as I mentioned at the top, who tested positive for COVID. Now, we had COVID at the start of the year, and we had done our isolation, we'd done the sickness thing, but the law said that you needed to have it within eight weeks to be exempt, and I think we were about at the 10-week mark. So in we went to isolation. That sent Sim, my two-year-old, Carly, my wife, her parents, into isolation in a smallish house. I had so much to do. I had so many meetings lined up. I had to write this sermon. I had a running plan that I was looking forward to doing. I really didn't want to be in isolation for another week. There were moments when I was so, so angry with people. I was so angry with lawmakers. I was so angry with rule breakers. I was so angry with my family and myself. See, this wasn't murder. It was a little thing. Yet in those moments, I couldn't stand before God and say, I'm free of breaking this command because of the deep anger that was dwelling in my heart. How about thievery? Who of us, in a moment of difficulty, hasn't wished you could steal the life of someone else and make it your own? Maybe you've looked at people in this very room and thought, I wouldn't mind having that job. I wouldn't mind having those looks. I wouldn't mind having that talent. I wouldn't mind having that partner. I wouldn't mind having that family. Or who of us doesn't meddle in people's things, wondering if they're more deserving of suffering than us. See, the sin of being a busybody is a hard-to-distinguish sin, but man, it is pervasive in our churches. You see here, Peter covers the whole spectrum. He knows that we are never too far away from a list of sins like this, no matter how extreme they are, if we don't address the spot fires that are happening in our hearts right now. Play stupid games with your sin and you'll win stupid prizes. 
keep sin in your life and it will destroy your life and bring dishonour to God as you call yourself a Christian. I think it's clear in this passage that they, Peter lays out two ways of suffering. It's either we suffer for the glorious name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is revealed in us in our suffering or we suffer for our sins, we suffer for our selfishness, our pride, our anger, all the while bringing dishonour to God as we claim to know Him and love Him. Christian, are you suffering for Jesus or are you suffering for your sin? Peter has given us our posture for suffering. He has pointed us to some of the purposes of suffering, but now he turns our attention from the individual to the corporate as we look at the problem of suffering. Read with me from verse 17 to 19. For it is time for the judgment for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You see, Christian suffering tests the purity of our faith as we stand and proclaim Jesus in it. We are challenged for it. Persecution offers the Holy Spirit an opportunity to flex His glory in our lives and amongst our suffering. Therefore, if the church is full of people proclaiming to be Christian, then the church is going to be tested as a collective to see who has genuine faith. Throughout the Old Testament prophets, there is a claim that the household of God will be the very first place to face judgment. And church, this is the household of God. It's not this basketball court, it's not this community centre, it's you, it's me, we are the household of God. And in this house, when we come under fire, not if we come under fire, when we come under fire, we will be tested. Some of us will leave and run and others will stand firm and proclaim that name. This is the wheat and the chaff, the sheep and the goats. This is a common theme throughout Scripture. Not all who claim to be Christian are Christian. And I think it feels like, especially right now, Christians are being endlessly exposed in this cultural moment right now. I can't escape the feeling that, in part, God is revealing what truly has hold over our affections and our desires. And I kind of find it cool that there's no longer a social gain to be, uh, there's no longer a social gain in proclaiming to be a Christian, because cultural Christianity kills me, it dilutes the gospel, it dilutes the church. Imagine if you got the not-so-honest ad for Shackleton's Adventure, when you ended up getting there and you're eating seal in the middle of the dark with a bunch of dudes and your, your foot's falling off and you, you were promised, you know, sunshine and rainbows, you'd be pretty angry. So Melbourne East, here is my ad for our church. Men and women wanted for a hazardous journey. Suffering and persecution guaranteed. Social isolation likely. The chance to glorify God in our work, our rest, our play honour and recognition for all, the requirement that you entrust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is my Shackleton ad for our church. Are you in? Is this in line with your vision of following Jesus? Because if you're not, then this passage also speaks to you. As we read, if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? 
Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Friends, if the test is hard, even when you know the truth of the gospel, what hope is there for you if you don't? The passage says, if the righteous are scarcely saved, it doesn't mean that the righteous are barely saved. It doesn't mean that Jesus only just did it. It rather means with difficulty, as in the suffering and the testing that we've been talking about. Here is a hard challenge for those of you who currently live away from Jesus. Without relationship in Jesus, salvation from God is not difficult. It is absolutely impossible. The only way to be reconciled to God is allowing Jesus to do it for you. But here is the radical, insane thing. Today, you can go from ungodly to godly, from going against God to knowing God. That is the promise of the gospel. You can happen, have that happen in your heart right now. See, the gospel doesn't leave you in hopelessness like the world does. It doesn't say, she'll be right when you're in despair. It has the guts and the honesty to say that it might not be okay. This life is going to be hard, and if you press on by yourself, it's going to be really hard. This week, on Thursday, was the third anniversary of my oldest son Jasper's death. He was born with a heart defect and spent his short life at the Royal Children's Hospital in ICU. And that ward was one of the most amazing places we've ever been because it had this tea room in it. And in that tea room, comfort culture crumbled. It was like a bomb had gone off. It was all the parents of all the kids. Some of the kids had blood conditions that were killing them. Some of them had heart conditions that were killing them. All of us were going through a really hard time. And what comfort did the culture offer? She'll be right. That must really suck. It's in that setting when the realness of life, when you're at your rock bottom, the real culture comfort is exposed and it sucks. You see, Christian... You see, the Christian faith doesn't say everything's going to be all right in the here and now. In fact, it says the total opposite. It says everything is so wrong in the here and now. But we believe that God so loved the world that he entered into human history to undo what has been done by our disobedience. But we believe that God's, but not now, but one day, there'll be no more tears, no more abuse, no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering. So I plead with you, if you don't know Jesus, maybe you've walked away from Jesus, please come home to Jesus. Don't suffer alone. Suffer with God. Trust your soul to a faithful creator. And Christians in the room, remember this. If Jesus wanted you to be rich and happy right now, that is exactly what you would be. But you're not. So he must be testing you and trialing you and have a greater plan for you through what you're going through right now. Trusting your souls to a faithful creator is a really hard thing, but by the Spirit of God who is working on us right now, we can do that. We can turn to Him in prayer and pray that He does a good work in our hard hearts. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for the trials and tribulations that we face. Lord, we don't diminish the pain of any of them. But Father, we recognize that you have experienced the pain of all of them. Lord, we thank you for being our great comforter, our great saviour, 
Father, we thank you that you are standing in the muck with us right now. You are sitting in the dust with us right now. So, Father, I pray that any of us who are trying to walk through this incredibly hard forest by ourselves, turn and face you. Father, may we come home to you. May we trust you. May we recognize that whatever trials are going, we are going through right now, that we've been told about on and on again in this book, that we actually recognize that you are doing a good work in sanctifying us behind it all. Father, I pray for anybody in this room who doesn't yet know you, who wants to know you, who wants to love you, please do a good work in their heart. May they turn to you and walk with you forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.